Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome back. If I have not yet introduced myself, if you don't know who I am, uh, I am Kim, one of the pastors here. And uh, there is um, a story that's unfolding in our midst that I thought it would be wonderful for you to hear about today. So last fall, some of you may remember uh, Rod Wilson in a pair of overalls. He was a farmer uh, looking at the parables of the kingdom through the eyes of a farmer. And one of his sermons was about looking at a a field and having sown the seed and um, being aware of just the lack of uh, the lack of control in some ways that 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 seed represented that you throw the seed on the ground and you wait for it to grow and there's a way in which you don't have control there's a trust element in that seed being sown and so after Rod uh, gave that message I ended the service with a quote you don't have the quote Okay, it was about uh, entrusting possibilities to God, entrusting the possibilities that go beyond your own control and ability to uh, make something happen. So soon after that, a few days later, uh, I received uh, one of those emails that pastors love to receive. It it was an email from somebody who had taken seriously what we talked about and was um, trying to obey the call that God was... uh, issuing to her. So uh, October 23rd, this email arrived in my inbox from Susie Alexander. Subject line, prayers appreciated because it's too big for me. Hi Kim, thinking on your message from the end of the service. I'm up against a developer who wishes to tear down the small church near us and build 14 1,700 to 2,300 square foot homes on land that can really only support four. It would be a long-term loss to the community as we will lose that gathering space. It doesn't do anything to help bring in new folks to the market that could normally not afford our crazy housing prices. Spoken by a realtor, by the way. I feel this one is beyond my abilities and out of my control and only God can effect a miracle. I've made many connections recently with the new mayor and council with my work for the business association, so I feel I must step in, but again, I can't see the ends, and so many are saying I'm wasting my time. So prayers would be great, as I would love to see that space be the community hub it once was. Thanks, Susie Alexander. That was October 23rd. Uh, And I think it arrived on a Wednesday afternoon or evening, and uh, some of us gather to pray Thursday mornings uh, at the J.J. Bean at Park in Tilford, 7 a.m. All of you are welcome to come. And as we started to pray, uh, we started to, I started to become excited. It was one of those David and Goliath stories, and I wondered what would transpire So things have developed quite significantly since then, since that October 23rd email, and uh, these two are um, pretty central to the whole process. So I've asked Susie and Kevin to come and tell us a little bit about what's happening now. Susie, you will give us uh, an update, please, as to what has transpired since that fateful Sunday and email. Uh, Just a little bit of history. St. Monica's is a really small, about 100-seat neighborhood church 
that was started before the Second World War by a small group of women raising money through bake sales to purchase the land in the heart of the neighborhood. They actually bought the land for $100 from West Van District. Just give you an idea. <laughs> Um, the Anglican Diocese was invited later to become involved, and over the years it had an influx from churches that closed uh, locally, such as the United Church. Um, the diocese decided to sell the church four years ago, and so closed its doors to almost all use, bar a rental to Revolution Church and the AA group. The minute the for sale sign went up, the daycare failed. Um, the diocese refused all offers from community groups that did not meet their financial expectations. So the developer completed on the church property in July of last year, despite being unable to change the zoning to meet his planned project. And he's now bringing his proposal for market housing forward. Um, so things that have happened. In order for the church to be saved, the neighborhood needed to act, which it did and still is repeatedly. Um, I needed to be able to buy it, <clears throat> but none of my lottery tickets worked. But then Kevin and I began to talk, and I found his purpose was focused on bringing community life to his neighborhood as well. And his vision was even greater than mine, and this situation could encourage his faith as well. Um, I needed politicians to listen. Horseshoe Bay has been ignored for about 33 years. We are the other West Van. But through an odd circumstance of my volunteer work and the timing of the election, they did return my calls and meet with me and Kevin and many, with many city employees as well. So God's paving the way for discussion. Um, the big thing is the local area plan uh, for Horseshoe Bay needed to move from after Ambleside to now in order to bring this property within the realm of a greater consideration beyond straight market rate housing at the cost of community gathering space. God allowed me to work with another volunteer group to organize the neighborhood and present our case, and we won, a supposedly impossible task. So that happened in March. Uh, the market conditions needed to change so that the developer stopped seeing easy profit, and the developer needed to begin to be open to an offer. That's where we're at now. So just to interject here before I ask the two questions of each of you uh, that I would like to hear from you about. Uh, the two questions are, um, how does what you're doing with St. Monica's relate to your faith in God? And what does it mean for you to live and act in hope in this situation? So before I allow these two to answer the questions, I think I just want to... Uh, tell any of you who are wondering, why are we talking about this at church? Uh, to tell you that when we talk about passion for Christ and compassion for neighbor, when we talk about uh, bringing God's kingdom with who you are, where you are, uh, this is the kind of thing we're talking about. And these two people are uh, bringing to God who they are and what they have, and asking God to use it. And no one else probably would have the unique gift mix and resources that these two have. So I'm not bringing these two up here to set them up as an example of what you should do, except that there's a posture and a faith that I think you'll begin to hear if you've not already heard it in these two, 
that is a model for us all, I think, in knowing what it looks like for us to give God what we have and to trust that he's going to use it to bring uh, flourishing to our communities. So with that said, um, Susie, do you want to tell us how does what you're doing with St. Monica's relate to your faith in God? Um, it is fully driven by my faith in God. If it wasn't for him, I would not be doing this. If I had listened to most around me, I would have been angry, but done little or nothing because the odds were it wouldn't be possible. I've been told that often enough. The story isn't over, so it still might be impossible, but I still feel I have to try. This scripture was central to my deciding I had to keep walking forward with no floor in sight. Uh, Matthew 19.26 With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. It is also to bring about what God wants to do in that space. For me, it has been a, a gut reaction that this is something I need to do, which I've had before, and I'm learning to act on it even when my comfort level is to hide. Uh, and Susie, why don't you answer the last question, then we'll let Kevin have his say. Um, a dangerous thing, I know, but... Um, what does it mean for you to live and act in hope in this situation? Um, it's not easy. I worry incessantly, as is my nature. Um, I've been, not been blessed with much peace about this. I am on an emotional roller coaster, and sadly that means I take Rob with me on that. For those of you that don't know, that's my husband. Um, where I will say, I'm done. And then God opens another door, and I'm immediately saying, ooh, can you believe this? A lot of times I tell myself to focus on Jesus and not the waves. If I look at the waves, it's too disheartening, and I feel like stopping. It's hard to be so visible in this. I, I don't want to move away. I'm known by many of these people since I was born, and I feel the weight of failure heavily, but I have to keep going. And I wonder how much... The powers see me as a fool. So I look to God for my reputation. In the end, sorry, it matters more to me what he thinks. I'm trusting God and in turn asking others to trust me, not knowing the end of the story. It's very tempting to say, but of course God will make this a happy ending but I can't foresee all ends, and free will exists, so all I can do is continue to place this before him and say, yours. I'm also aware that if we succeed, that I would like the other side to be upheld by God. I pray for the developer, for his employees and his family. God is big enough to see him prosper in another way. There does not need to be a loser, and he is not evil. He is just another actor in God's world. So well said, Susie. And your face is like, I'm so glad this is over. Don't ask me any more questions. Um, she turns the mic off. I think I'll just say, Susie, that um, it's such an amazing thing that uh, you, as a real estate agent... Uh, are going out and advocating for this because this is like there's no win for you like personally right in terms of or financially um, so th that just speaks volumes 
Uh, yeah, it really does. So Kevin has the reputation now in the district, I hear, as being the unicorn. Uh, and I'll, I'll introduce you that way, Kevin, and then you can speak briefly. Uh, Kevin has met with many district councillors, and he is such... Uh, the way that he is operating, similar to Susie, he, clearly he has nothing in it for himself and is, is actually looking for a way to help his community. And he's acting in a way that people ought not to act selflessly and courageously. And so the district councillors have started calling him the unicorn because it's, he's like the kind of person that you hope exists somewhere, but that p people assume doesn't exist. So, Mr. Unicorn, uh, tell us from your perspective, uh, Susie's answered these questions too, how does what you are doing with St. Monica's relate to your faith in God? Thanks. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, if you uh, have been here for a while, you will remember a few topics that we've uh, considered as a group. Um, for a while now, Kim and Rod have been teaching about this interesting word called uh, shalom. So it's, this, uh, it's referred to in various ways. It's not merely peace, but it's the kind of peace that exists when all of life is flourishing, has a chance to flourish, and it's a reciprocal, interrelated connection between all things. Shalom, God's kingdom come, as it were. You might also remember we uh, spent quite a bit of time talking about faithful presence, um, and that had a lot to do with a rootedness or a place in one's neighborhood or wherever you may be and a Christian commitment to that type of um, dynamic of life, a quality of life. So I'm, I'm trying to uh, hearken your minds back to those, whatever you, might, whatever you might have had in mind during that series. And then uh, most recently, um, some of you would have gone through the Godspeed films. And then there's one other film that I like to refer people to that uh, a few of you came out uh, to on a night where our, we have our little Creation Matters group that, by the way, everyone would be welcome to come to. Um, one of the nights we spent uh, the night watching a film called Tomorrow, which was really an envisioning uh, film about what could be done if a neighborhood or a group of people or a person in a place wondered about what else could be if you stopped taking everything that is just merely for granted. So when you look around, you see, Robbie mentioned it this morning, you see all kinds of things that are not the kingdom come, but you can see signs. And what would we do? What would we do if we just agreed to try to do something together? Not because it's possible, but because we want to try and pursue the good that we see together. Those four things, for me, uh, really relate to this pursuit. And so how does this relate to my faith? I think I have to say just about everything. It's about uh, taking up a place in my own neighborhood. Not, I'm not trying, we're not trying to do this somewhere else. This is a hundred yards from my door. I think it has everything to do with what I believe God is asking each one of us to do as neighbors. The greatest command, love your Lord, your God, heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not merely love your neighbor. It's the gospel is about more than that. But it is definitely that. Your next door neighbor. And so for me, this was a remarkable opportunity. And somehow uh, Susie and I got aligned because I wouldn't have got up off my seat in the peanut gallery without somebody going like this. 
And it's, uh, things have started to align, and um, it relates to my faith because it constitutes so much of what I think bearing witness in today's culture in West Vancouver would mean for somebody like me. That was pretty short, Kevin. That's a good job. Um, so what does it mean for you now in this situation to live and act in hope? So hope is an important word for us. Um, faith, hope, and love, right? The greatest of virtues. Hope for me is a... It has to do with future faith. A confident expectation. I was reading uh, in Romans this morning. A confident expectation that based on the promises and based on what we have already seen, we continue to hope for what good has not quite yet fully materialized. So to go forward with hope is a confident expectation that you can step out into spaces that you don't know, can't see, don't understand, can't control, and can't predict. But you're not doing it blindly. You are doing it based on things you know from experience, from other people, from promises that are warranted by God, from God, through God, through Christ. And so this particular enterprise, um, this unconventional project, is so completely out of our control. We could do everything we can possibly think of to do, and there would still be dozens of aspects that would need to shift, that would need to move, persons that would have to respond a certain way, meetings that would have to line up, and that the whomever you're speaking with would be somehow, despite what you would anticipate, be receptive to your ideas. And then all of the immovable things would have to be moved around. So there's that part. That's sort of the going out into something that you can't control and don't know. But then the other part for me uh, has more to do with the days that I am thinking, wow, this really might work. And then the very next minute, I say, oh, crap, I think this is going to work. Uh, I'm not sure which way I want this one to go. Uh, it would be a lot easier to go back to my quiet life. Um, but that's sort of the, the exciting part. So the faithful, hopeful combination is we can't do this on our own, but we're going to pursue the good. And when you do that, uh, I'm confident that no matter how it turns out, it will be good in really meaningful ways for me, for Susie, for the neighbors, for the, the building itself. And that includes that this doesn't work and the developer goes in and does what he wants to do. Um, I am not afraid of how this turns out. Outcome is not my primary thought. It's posture and attempt to go out and try to do the things that I think Jesus would want me to do today. Thank you, Kevin. So I'm asking you a follow-up question, and this is super risky because I think this is the one that's going to make you actually super excited. You haven't actually said very much um, about your uh, your vision or the vision that you're hearing from people as you talk to neighbors about what they would want that space to be set aside for. 
Um, and I know that there's a vision here that's started with you, perhaps, but I know that you've been listening to lots of people in the community also about what they want. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll just mention that I went for a little walk with Anne around the neighborhood one day. And as Anne and I were walking around her neighborhood, a neighbor stopped Anne to say, so I was at that meeting and that, that man was speaking uh, and he wanted input. And I was really excited about what he said. So how do I give him input? Because I think this is a really great thing. And I thought, oh, Kevin's getting famous. The very thing he didn't want. Infamous. Infamous. So um, just tell us a little bit about, uh, none of it's for sure yet, I, I know, but just some of the ideas, some of the percolating, some of the possible tomorrows um, that get you and other people in the community excited about what that space could be devoted to. As many things as possible. Um, I get most excited over the kinds of ideas that I think would be fun to try and that also neighbors would be, uh, think would be fun to try and that wouldn't be possible if we didn't have a place like this to try them in. So some simple examples would be, um, you know, growing food on a piece of property. Uh, we could be throwing um, Susie's 50th birthday there. 40th, sorry. 40th, never mind. Um, birthday parties, Halloween parties. For neighbors to come out and be in relationship, to know and to be known, it takes a place that you share, that you're committed to together. And it's even better when that place needs you. It gives and it receives from you, a place to engage and to belong. These are little words associated with social well-being. For us, with the Christian worldview, we can say that this is flourishing. Love of God, love of neighbor, care for the land and everything he's made, and doing it together. So imagine a place where, and this is the part that gets me most excited, <clears throat> to achieve ownership of the property and simply hold it there for the neighborhood to come out and do what they would like to do if they had access to such a space. Money is important in today's world, but it doesn't achieve all kinds of good things, only some kinds. And if you don't have a place to share together, you just don't have spaces to come and do the kinds of things you can do together. And as a man, I, women too, but for me especially, I need something to do with my friends. I can't just sit around. We've got to do something. And that's not because you must. It's just because there's a unique quality of things that comes out. So picture... Day one, this is my day one. Magically, miraculously, we've achieved this proposition and I'm terrified because it's ours now. On day one, we beckon the neighbors to come out and simply be in the space, bring your packed lunches, bring your flasks and your whatever and come and just sit here in the space and be together and eat. And then the next day, come and help us pull some weeds, paint the building, clean up the inside towards the next night where we will come together and watch whoever wants to come and put up this film tomorrow on the, some big screen in the sanctuary and just sit and do that together. And then get all the gardener, gardeners in my neighborhood to come out and turn this piece of land that is currently a desert parking lot into something that teems with life. And then use that food to inaugurate the next soup kitchen. And then have Andrew Chong come with his Youth Unlimited group to hang out there in a shared living room space 
and be together and then have tutoring services and then have the Glen Eagles Elementary School come over and participate and then have the AA group come back to meet there. It, the list just goes on and on and on and on and do unconventional things. I want Thomas to come out and Ben, he's not here, and Ben to paint the side of the church something totally strange and beautiful. You can't do these things without a space and most of the things I just listed off can't pay. Nice. Sverklempt. So good. I made both people cry up here. That's a win for me. Uh, there's so much more to be said, but I just, I wanted you to get a glimpse of um, what, what hope looks like. And I wanted to get uh, a snapshot of this before we know what the ending is, because it's not, because uh, this is already a success story. This is already a faith story. Uh, and we're going to go to the communion table in a moment or two and talk more about hope and how we live and act in hope. And I'm going to invite you to, to talk with one another about that. But before we do that, I would like for a few of you uh, to stand and pray for our friends. Um, this already feels like a bit of a shared enterprise uh, because these two folks are, are, are us. And, uh, and they are acting... Um, as ambassadors of Christ and as ambassadors of, of CAP. So what, a, what an encouraging thing it is to hear a good news story. Even though we don't know the ending of the story, we have already heard good news. And you've heard what it means to live and act in hope for these two. And it looks different for each one of us, and I hope you've heard me say really clearly that God does not expect you to be Kevin or Susie. But God does call each of us as his followers to bring his flourishing to the places that we inhabit. And that's what hope looks like, to, to walk in faith, trusting that God can use who you are and what you are. Hope is not optimism. It's not blind faith. But as you've already heard from these two, it's something rooted in God it's something rooted in the story of God. It's something rooted in that story that we remember when we come here to the table, the story about a God who came to be with us, to be one of us. A God who lived among us and showed us what God was like. A God who died for us for the forgiveness of our sins and a God who was raised to life by the power that comes from God. And so we have hope in that story. Hope because despite the things that we might see around us, this is not the end of the story. We know how it will end. Revelation 21 tells us how the story will end. Our hope is that God, who has come, will come again and will make all things new. And we participate in the now but not yet. And this table feeds our hope in the meantime. The Eucharist quenches my thirst for hope, William Sloan Coffin once said. The Eucharist, this meal, we call it communion, quenches my thirst for hope. This hope that is rooted in the story of God, this now but not yet story, 
This is a meal that reminds us of the meal that Jesus celebrated with his friends the night before he died. So this meal points back to that meal, but it also points forward to the meal that we will celebrate one day when Jesus returns. And Luke chapter 22 shows this. These are the words of Jesus to his friends as he was about to celebrate uh, his last supper with them on earth. Luke 22, verses 14 to 20. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. I will not eat it again, Jesus says, this meal, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus was eagerly desiring to eat that meal with his friends, but was also looking forward to the meal that he would celebrate in the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus, eagerly desiring to eat this meal with his friends, and Jesus, eagerly desiring, as we all eagerly desire, the fulfillment of the kingdom. And in the meantime, we come to this table with hope. And so I'd like to give you a few moments now before we come to the table. Instead of me praying for you, I would like to invite you to uh, spend some time listening and praying for one another. Not, not long, about five minutes or so. But I wonder if you would uh, turn your chair inwards to be with three or four other people facing them. And to respond to two questions and then to to pray. Actually, to respond to one of two questions. So introduce yourself if you don't know the person to your left or right. Gather in groups of three or four. And if you don't actually want to answer, you can just say, I'm just here to listen. You don't have to respond if you don't want to. But here's the question. Choose one. Where is God calling you? Where might God be calling you to live and act in hope right now? That's one option. Or the other option is a little bit more uh, raw, but I know sometimes hoping can actually hurt. Like it hurts to hope. You don't dare to hope. Something perhaps is so hard or discouraging that it might be hard to hope. So one question would be, where does it hurt to hope right now? You're not even quite ready to hope. So first question might be where... Where is God calling you to live and act? That's one option. Or where does it hurt to hope? 